This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Middle Temple Murder by J. S. Fletcher Chapter 30 Revelation There was as much bright sunshine that morning in Middle Temple Lane as ever manages to get into it, and some of it was shining in the entry into which Spargo and Brayton presently hurried. Full of haste as he was, Brayton passed at the foot of the stair. He looked down at the floor and at the wall at its side. Wasn't it there? he said in a low voice, pointing at the place he looked at. Wasn't it there, Spargo? Just there that Marbury or rather Maitland was found? It was just there, answered Spargo. You saw him? I saw him. Soon afterwards? Immediately after he was found. You know all that, Brayton. Why do you ask now? Brayton, who was still staring at the place on which he had fixed his eyes on walking into the entry, shook his head. Don't know, he answered. I, uh, but come on. Let's see if old Cardlestone can tell us anything. There was another charwoman armed with pails and buckets outside Cardlestone's door, into which she was just fitting a key. It was evident to Spargo that she knew Brayton, for she smiled at him as she opened the door. I don't think Mr. Cardlestone will be in, sir, she said. He's generally gone out to breakfast at this time. Him and Mr. Elphick goes together. Just see, said Brayton. I want to see him if he's in. The charwoman entered the chambers and immediately screamed. Quite so, remarked Spargo. That is what I expected to hear. Cardlestone, you see, Brayton, is also off. Brayton made no reply. He rushed after the charwoman with Spargo in close attendance. Good God, another, groaned Brayton. If the confusion in Elphick's rooms had been bad, that in Cardlestone's chambers was worse. Here again, all the features of the previous scene were repeated. Drawers had been torn open, papers thrown about, the hearth was choked with light ashes, everything was at sixes and sevens. An open door leading into an inner room showed that Cardlestone, like Elphick, had hastily packed a bag, like Elphick had changed his clothes and had thrown his discarded garments anywhere into any corner. Spargo began to realize what had taken place. Elphick, having made his own preparations for flight, had come to Cardlestone and had expedited him and they had fled together. But why? The charwoman sat down in the nearest chair and began to moan and sob. Brayton strode forward across the heaps of papers and miscellaneous objects tossed aside in that hurried search and clearing up into the inner room. And Spargo, looking about him, suddenly caught sight of something lying on the floor at which he made a sharp clutch. He had just secured it and hurried it into his pocket when Brayton came back. I don't know what all this means, Spargo, he said almost wearily. I suppose you do. Look here, he went on, turning to the charwoman. Stop that row. That'll do no good, you know. I suppose Mr. Cardlestone's gone away in a hurry. You would better... What had you better do, Spargo? Leave things exactly as they are, lock up the chambers, and as you're a friend of Mr. Cardlestone's, give you the key, answered Spargo with a significant glance. Do that now and let's go. I've got something to do. 
Once outside, with the startled char woman gone away, Spargo turned to Breton. I'll tell you all I know presently, Breton, he said. In the meantime, I want to find out if the lodge porter saw Mr. Elphick or Mr. Cardlestone leave. I must know where they've gone, if I can only find out. I don't suppose they went on foot. All right, responded Breton gloomily. We'll go and ask. But this is all beyond me. You don't mean to say... Wait a while, answered Spargo. One thing at once, he continued to say as they walked up Middle Temple Lane. This is the first. You ask the porter if he's seen anything of either of them. He knows you. The porter, duly interrogated, responded with alacrity. Anything of Mr. Ralphick this morning, Mr. Brayton? He answered. Certainly, sir. I got a taxi for Mr. Ralphick and Mr. Cardenstone early this morning, soon after seven. Mr. Ralphick said they were going to Paris and they had breakfast at Charing Cross before the train left. Say, when they'd be back? asked Brayton with an assumption of entire carelessness. No, sir, Mr. Ralphick didn't, answered the porter. But I should say they wouldn't be long because they'd only got small suitcases with them, such as they'd put a day or two's things in, sir. All right, said Brayton. He turned away towards Spargo, who had already moved off. What next? he asked. Charing Cross, I suppose. Spargo smiled and shook his head. No, he answered. I've no use for Charing Cross. They haven't gone to Paris. That was all a blind. For the present, let's go back to your chambers. Then I'll talk to you. Once within Brayton's inner room, with the door closed upon them, Spargo dropped into an easy chair and looked at the young barrister with earnest attention. Brayton, he said, I believe you're coming in sight of land. You want to save your prospective father-in-law, don't you? Of course, growled Brayton. That goes without saying. But, but you may have to make some sacrifices in order to do it, said Spargo. You see, sacrifices, exclaimed Brayton. What? You may have to sacrifice some ideas. You may find that you'll not be able to think as well of some people in the future as you've thought of them in the past. For instance, Mr. Elphick. Brayton's face grew dark. Speak plainly, Spargo, he said. It's best with me. Very well, replied Spargo. Mr. Elphick, then, is in some way connected with this affair. You mean the murder? I mean the murder. So is Carlstone. Of that, I'm now dead certain. And that's why they're off. I startled Elphick last night. It's evident that he immediately communicated with Carlstone and that they made a rapid exit. Why? Why? That's what I'm asking you. Why? 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 Because they're afraid of something coming out. And being afraid, their first instinct is to run. They've run at the first alarm. Foolish, but instinctive. Brayton, who had flung himself into the elbow chair at his desk, jumped to his feet and thumped his blotting pad. Spargo, he exclaimed. Are you telling me that you accused my guardian and his friend Mr. Cardlestone of being murderers? Nothing of the sort. I'm accusing Mr. Elphick and Mr. Cardlestone of knowing more about the murder than they care to tell or want to tell. I'm also accusing them, and especially your guardian, of knowing all about Maitland alias Marbury. I made him confess last night that he knew this dead man to be John Maitland. You did? I did. And now, Brayton, since it's got to come out, we'll have the truth. Pull yourself together, get your nerves ready. You'll have to stand a shock or two. 
but I know what I'm talking about. I can prove every word I'm going to say to you. And first, let me ask you a few questions. Do you know anything about your parentage? Nothing beyond what Mr. Elphick told me. And what was that? That my parents were old friends of his who died young, leaving me unprovided for, and that he took me up and looked after me. And he has never given you any documentary evidence of any sort to prove the truth of that story? Never. I never questioned his statement. Why should I? You never remember anything of your childhood? I mean, of any person who was particularly near you in your childhood? I remember the people who brought me up from the time I was three years old. And I have just a faint, shadowy recollection of some woman, a tall, dark woman, I think, before that. Miss Bayless, said Spargo to himself. All right, Breton, he went on aloud. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'll tell it to you straight out and give you all the explanations afterwards. Your real name is not Brayton at all. Your real name is Maitland and you're the only child of the man who was found murdered at the foot of Cardlestone's staircase. Spargo had been wondering how Brayton would take this and he gazed at him with some anxiety as he got out the last words. What would he do? What would he say? What? Brayton sat down quietly at his desk and looked Spargo hard between the eyes. Prove that to me, Spargo, he said in hard, matter-of-fact tones. Prove it to me, every word. Every word, Spargo. Spargo nodded. I will. Every word, he answered. It's the right thing. Listen, then. It was a quarter to twelve, Spargo noticed, throwing a glance at the clock outside as he began his story. It was past one when he brought it to an end. And all that time, Brayton listened with the keenest attention, only asking a question now and then, now and then making a brief note on a sheet of paper which he had drawn to him. That's all, said Spargo at last. It's plenty, observed Brayton laconically. He sat staring at his notes for a moment, then he looked up at Spargo. What do you really think, he asked. About what, said Spargo. This flight of Elphicks and Cardlestones. I think, as I said, that they knew something which they think may be forced upon them. I never saw a man in greater fright than I saw Elphick in last night. And it's evident that Cardlestone shares in that fright, or they wouldn't have gone off in this way together. Do you think they know anything of the actual murder? Sparko shook his head. I don't know. Probably. They know something. And look here. Spargo put his hand in his breast pocket and drew something out, which he handed to Britain, who gazed at it curiously. What's this? he demanded. Stamps? That, from the description of Cryadier, the stamp dealer, is the sheet of those rare Australian stamps which Maitland had on him, carried on him. I picked it up just now in Cardlestone's room when you were looking into his bedroom. But that, after all, proves nothing. Those may not be the ideal stamps. And whether they're not, what are the probabilities? Interrupted Spargo sharply. I believe that those are the stamps which Maitland, your father, had on him. And I want to know how they came to be in Cardlestone's rooms. And I will know. Brayton handed the stamps back. For the general thing, Spargo, he said. If they didn't murder, I can't realize the thing yet. My father. If they didn't murder your father, they know who did exclaimed Spargo. Now then, it's time for more action. 
Let Elphick and Cardlestone alone for the moment. They'll be tracked easily enough. I want to tackle something else for the moment. How do you get an authority from the government to open a grave? Order from the Home Secretary, which will have to be obtained by showing the very strongest reasons why it should be made. Good. We'll give the reasons. I want to have a grave opened. A grave opened? Whose grave? The grave of the man Chamberlain at Market Mulcaster, replied Spargo. Brayton's dead. His? In heaven's name, why? he demanded. Spargo laughed as he got up. Because I believe it's empty, he answered. Because I believe that Chamberlain is alive and that his other name is Cardlestone. End of chapter 30 Recorded by Kritika from India December 31, 2006